Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. Well, this week we are going to be talking about Death Stalks the Big Top Part 2. First aired October 5th, 1986, Season 3, Episode 2. So let's quickly go over all of the characters, right? And then get right into the episode. So we have Edgar Carmody, Raymond Carmody, Daniela Morgana Carmody, (laughs) Carl Schulman, who we now know is Neil Fletcher, Preston Bartholomew, now that's a name for you, Carol Bannister, Audrey Bannister, Howard Bannister, Constance Fletcher, Mayor Powers, Charlie McCallum, Katie McCallum, Brad Keneally, Maria Morgana, Sheriff Lynn Childs, Hank Sutter, Maylene Sutter, and Harry Kingman. So we start off with a recap of the first episode. So yeah, that's great. We've seen it. So we then start at the jail where Jessica is trying to speak with Neil and find out why he confessed. And Jessica cannot be convinced that Neil murdered Hank. I completely agree. You know, this is one where it's not just, it's her brother-in-law who faked his death, but all of us understand after meeting Constance and Audrey why he faked his own death and 23 skidooed up out of there. Okay. <laughs> and join the circus, but that that's a different story for a different day. Anyway, so Neil is like, listen, no, I did it. Um, they found the bat. They found Sutter's blood type on it. I told them where I hid it. Like, I did it. Just let it lay. But of course, Jessica won't and she should not. Okay, this is a fight that Jessica needs to fight and I fully support her. So he hit his leg and was in excruciating pain. Jessica calls the sheriff over who unlocks the door. They roll up his pants and they see this deep knife wound. So the next scene, we have the doctor, the mayor, the sheriff, and Jessica. And the doctor says, well, the cut isn't that deep. It, you know, it's superficial, but it's bleeding a lot, right? So the sheriff says, oh, like he got in a fight. And Jessica's like, a man of his age getting into a knife fight? I just don't believe it. And the wounds must be self-inflicted. That is Jessica's conclusion She's correct, obviously. And so (laughs) that he is trying to protect someone, but she does not know who that person is yet. My thing is, Mayor, if Neil got into a knife fight, who stabs him in the bottom of his leg? Like who stabs him there, okay? And not just stabbed him, but cut him. What type of knife fight was he in that a person would be able to get down (laughs) (laughs) and cut his leg? Were they wrestling where like 
Neil's legs were then around this guy's neck or something. (laughs) It does not make sense. And this is why I am completely convinced that the mayor is an idiot and I don't want to waste my breath talking about him. However, this was just so ridiculous. I could not even. Who gets into a knife fight and then gets cut on the bottom part of their leg? Okay, please explain the logistics of that. Thank you. So the next scene, we're out in front of the sheriff's office with the sheriff and Jessica. And she is just exasperated by the mayor, as all of us are, I'm sure. And we find out from the sheriff that he was actually with the state police for 11 years before he got injured. He doesn't say how he got injured or the nature of his injury. It's clearly has to do with his leg. Perhaps he can no longer run and um, complete the physical portion of being a state police officer. And so he's kind of indebted to Mayor Powers because he gave him a job when nobody else would. Not just a job, but a job in law enforcement, which is what he really wanted to continue to do. However, he understands that the mayor is an idiot, but his hands are tied to a degree. And Jessica's like, I know you're a good man, and I know that you're probably if given the opportunity, would be a really great lawman. And I believe that too. You know, it seems like he has it in him. He has the instinct. He just does not have the freedom under this mayor who really has no business in law enforcement. We talked about that last week. Okay, I'm not going to go off about that again. I'm trying. Okay. (laughs) The next scene... We're at the circus and we see Maylene and Preston. Maylene is practicing her horse riding act and Preston is being a super creeper watching her and like twiddling his mustache, which like we spoke about last week looks fake, but apparently it's real. Okay. Maybe it's the color that it is. I I won't say that it's dyed that color, but maybe the color of the mustache mixed with the fullness of it is what's throwing me off okay because I, I it's either one or the other it's one both of them combined makes it look fake I I'm just saying anyway so once Maylene finishes her rehearsal she goes up to Preston and we find out that she is quitting at the end of the season she never told Hank that who was her husband and has been properly murdered, uh, that she had been putting money away so that she could leave. And it's convenient that her husband was murdered because now she does not have to flee from him and be concerned that he'll find her. She is planning to open a horse breeding farm or business, right? And good for her. You know, she wears loud clothes and loud makeup, but she seems like I think it's a Southern accent. I think that's what it is. That's why I like her. I like Maylene. She's a tough one. I don't know why she got with Hank. Like, he must have knew some information about her and convinced her to marry him. But other than that mistake, okay, (laughs) I like her. I, I do like her. And Preston's a creeper, so there's that. But Preston is like, listen, I'm leaving too. This circus is doomed. It's cursed. It's time to get out, right? And Maylene's like, oh, you got 
a, a oil drill ready to gusher or however she put it. And he's like, no, no, but you know, I have some money coming down the line, not that way. So she's like, oh, interesting. But I will mention, and this is why I like Maylene, she is not an opportunist, right? She put her own money aside. She's going out on her own. She wasn't like, hey, Preston, how about we work things out since you have money coming? She didn't. She was just being nice to him, which is more than anyone else has been. So I'll just say that. But I like her. I, I do. Maylene is an independent woman who can do horse riding tricks at the circus. Good for her. So Preston leaves. Maylene's walking out of the tent when Jessica approaches. And she's like... Jessica's like, oh, you know, we've met before. And Maylene's like, yeah, Emmeline Polstein, is it? Is that it, Jessica? <laughs> and But she instantly forgives her. She's like, I understand. You were looking for Neil slash Carl and you weren't getting answers. So I, I respect that. And so Jessica's like, yeah, so not to be disrespectful. And the fact is Hank was horrible, so I, I don't blame her. Usually, I will judge Jessica, typically in the novel. She has a horrible disposition when it comes to dealing with uh, grieving families, okay? If you're on Patreon, then you know what I mean. If you're not, get to it, okay? The Fletcher Files pod on Patreon, get into it. But here, she does it delicately, and the type of person Hank is, this... Maylene is not broken up about him being dead. So I'm fine with this approach. So Jessica asks, is it possible that Hank was the one who was sabotaging the circus and causing the accidents? And Maylene says, yes, he definitely could be, but I would have never thought that he would even want to be bothered with doing such things. So Jessica's like, well, what I'm thinking is that he was killed while when someone found him cutting the elephant chain links. So Jessica further says, I think that Neil lied so that he could protect somebody. And Maylene was like, it wasn't me. I ain't have enough cares in this world to murder my husband. So it ain't me. And so Jessica says, okay, that that's fine. But who was Neil close enough to that he would take a murder rap for them? We don't hear who she says. If she says anyone, it goes to the next scene. In the next scene, we have Maria Morgana, who is inside Edgar's office trailer, looking at the books. Like, who? Okay, okay. Now, I understand they don't lock doors, but this is outrageous, this is really outrageous that she is looking at their financial, their financials. Like, I can't even. So Edgar comes in and is like, oh, well, make yourself comfortable. And Maria is like, we have business to discuss. So lock the door. And the scene ends. The next scene, we're in the tent and Katie is now rehearsing her high wire act. And Charlie, her son, and Brad are talking in 
on the bleachers watching her rehearse. And Brad says that he's going to be quitting the circus soon. And, you know, Charlie's like, I wish you wouldn't. Like, please give us some more time. Because he's really trying to hook him up with his mother, which much respect to this kid. Um, But Brad is like, oh, I'm not really... I'm not really trying to do that. I don't want to hurt you and your mom. I, I need to just go. And so Katie is up there. And then suddenly she starts to wobble. And then the pole that she's holding for balance starts going kind of back and forth and then leaning hard to the left. And she then falls. She loses her balance. She falls. She does a, a flip and lands in the net. Now, I can't tell if that's a stunt double or if that's the actress, but either way, it was graceful. I'm not even going to lie. I think it was actually the actress, to be honest, because they had some tight shots that include her face, her body, and she was up on that wire. So props if it was that actress, you know, double threat out there. Anyway, (laughs) so she is just shook. Like, she is distraught. Everyone comes running. She comes out, uh, rolls out of the net. And she is like, I I don't know. I was up there and it just felt like um, there was something rolling around in there. I, I just don't know what the deal is, right? So Jessica, Edgar, Charlie, Katie, Ray, and Brad are all standing together. Ray is investigating the bar the balancing bar and he finds a ball bearing in it and Jessica notices that it has a bit of silly putty on it which would have kept it in place for a period of time and eventually it would have opened and started rolling throwing off Katie's balance so Jessica is like oh no 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 this is really bad we need to call the police and Edgar's like no Katie is like, excuse me? What are you talking about? Like, we need to call the police. Somebody tried to murder me. I just don't even understand. I do not care about anything except my safety and my son's safety. Which, valid. Valid. Now, Brad is like, oh, we have too many cops around here already. Brad, I was rooting for you. I think that you and Katie should get together, especially when you have created a bond with her son. And you are keeping an eye out for him and keeping him active and and things like that. And you're a good guy. But now, spoiler, he is kind of on the run from the law. So I understand his apprehension. But sir, what I'm going to need you to do is take a little step, step, step to the next town and hang out until the police come and investigate. Okay, that's what I'm going to need you to do. And two, if you're running from the police, you should have changed your name. Like, honestly, he did not even change his name. Okay, we find out his story in a little bit, and we'll go into that once he tells his full story. But it's not about you, Brad. It's about Katie almost being killed, okay? Because during her regular act, if that happened during her regular act in front of an audience, she does not have a net during her actual performances, she would have either died from the fall or hit the ground and been paralyzed. Okay, so I think it's extremely important that you get the police involved. However, 
on the other side of this. That would mean Mayor Powers would get involved and I don't want any more of his involvement than absolutely necessary to get through this episode. So granted, that is a consideration. So mm, I'm on the fence. I am on the fence. But Katie is just like, I cannot even believe that you guys do not want to call the police. I was almost killed. I am not getting back up there or doing anything until this is situated because I'm not risking my life for this place. Okay, I have a whole child to take care of. Screw each and every one of you, except Jessica, of course, because Jessica was like, call the police. But she has every right to be this upset. Jessica then gets a chance to speak with Brad one-on-one. And she brings up the fact that she noticed cuts and bruises and scrapes on his knuckles, on his hands, but knuckles specifically, the day after Hank was murdered. So that morning when his body was found and they came back from fishing, she noticed it. So Brad, of course, gets defensive and is like, listen, I work a rough job and my hands look like this all the time. She's like, okay then. So the next scene, we're outside and Jessica goes into Carl's slash Neil's trailer. And she's looking around. We don't see anything more than her get into the trailer, start looking around, and then the scene changes. So the next scene, we're outside and Katie is fuming and Charlie's following behind her and trying to defend Brad. And she's like, don't you defend him to me, (laughs) sir? Son, child, young man. No, no. What you need to do, he's, he's young, so he doesn't know. The correct move would have been to not mention anything. Like when she's upset, like, but mom, I'm here for you. Okay. I believe you and I want you to be safe. And I agree that you should not do any more stunts until this is solved. Okay, thank you for thinking of me as well as your own safety. And leave it at that, okay? Leave it at that. (laughs) But he doesn't know. He's a kid, so I'll give him some grace, right? So Jessica then comes out, and Katie's like, what do you want? (laughs) She is on edge. And Jessica's like, hey, are you okay? Like, I'm trying to make sure you're okay. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I can't even believe I almost died. And I was just not going to be here for Charlie. And nobody wanted to call the police to make me at least feel some level of safety. So Jessica is like, yeah, so um, getting to the actual reason that I was looking for you. um, You know, so Carl was close to Charlie, wasn't he? He was close to you, Charlie. And you know, you guys got along and he he might want to protect you. And, you know, you know, where's your bat, Charlie? And so uh, Katie, I think, is the one who says, "Um, Hank stole it last night. And she's like, I told you he was trying to get fresh. And yeah, Charlie came out and threatened him with a bat. And he took it from Charlie and left. So Jessica has an epiphany. And the next scene, we are at the jail. And she is standing there with the sheriff outside of the cell. And 
speaking with Neil slash Carl, I'm going to go back and forth with the name because he's both. Anyway, for Jessica, he's Neil. For everyone else, he's Carl. So that's that's how we're going to distinguish that I'm talking about the same person. <laughs> okay. And Neil is just like, leave it alone, Jessica Beatrice Fletcher, please. And so <laughs> Jessica's like, Neil, you don't have to do this. Charlie didn't have his bat. Hank stole it earlier in the evening. Charlie did not kill him. And so Neil has an epiphany. He's like, oh, let me tell you my real story. So they then bring Neil into the office, the sheriff's office, right? And the mayor is now there. So it's the mayor, the sheriff, Neil, and Jessica. And he explains what happened that night. He went for a walk around the grounds as he does every morning. I'm sorry, it was the morning that Hank's body was found. And when he got over to the elephant's area, he found Hank murdered, beaten and bloody. And then he saw Charlie's bat covered in blood close by. So he tried to make the scene look like he had been crushed by elephants. And at that point, he was going back to his trailer when Edgar Carmody came up to him and told him that Jessica had come looking for him. So at that point, he realized he had to leave. He had to leave. So in order to ensure that in case the trampled by elephant thing did not fly that he, Neil slash Carl, would be believed to be the murderer, but he would be gone by that point. So he goes back to his trailer. He gets the juggling pin slash club. He cuts his leg. He happens to know that he has the same blood type as Hank. Now, remember, this is 1986. They had not started doing DNA comparisons and testing and things like that. So blood typing was revolutionary and that was something that they would have been able to do and did in fact do with the blood that was on the club. And the reason Carl slash Neil knows that he has the same blood type as Hank is because Hank was injured by a tiger, I believe, who scratched him up and he needed blood And so that's how they found out that Carl was a match and he donated blood to Hank. And so Carl said, so he cut his leg and then spread the blood over the club and hit it. So just in case they figured that Hank had been beaten to death, he could then lead them away from Charlie. And the reason he thought that Charlie had murdered Hank is one, he had given Charlie that bat for his birthday a month ago. And we know from episode one or part one that Charlie even slept with that bat. He loved that gift. So um, besides the fact that it was from someone he loved and respected, that being Carl, he treasured it. So that's why Carl is like, he would never have just um, parted from it. Right. So he had to have had it. And two, he knew that Hank was always trying to get with Katie and Charlie is super protective. So it makes sense 
that Charlie would try to defend his mother. And Carl was like, slash Neil, whatever, right? (laughs) At this point, we know who I mean. He figured that Charlie snuck up behind him and hit, knocked him down somehow and then beat him while he was on the ground. Because honestly, that is the only way that this, what, 12-year-old boy who has no muscle structure whatsoever, muscle definition whatsoever, could beat a grown man who has spent the majority of his life as a roustabout. So basically moving things, building things, dealing with animals, clearly has muscle definition and is a big guy just in general. That's the only way he could have got the jump on him to be able to beat him to death. But even if, like, how hard could Charlie have hit him with the bat that he would have gone down? Like, that's my question. He is a child, okay? And not even like a super strong looking child that he would have been able to hit Hank in such a way to stun him and knock him out. And then to continue with the level of strength that would be needed to use this bat. It wasn't a metal bat. It wasn't a heavy bat. It was a straight up wood wooden bat that you would be able, this child would be able to have the strength to beat this man. And we find out his injuries a bit later, but I'll tell you now, he had broken arms, both of them, broken ribs, and what was it? And other broken bones. Like he was, it it was easy to believe that he was trampled by elephants, okay? Now, it didn't look like that when they showed the flashback of Neil turning him over because he he seemed pretty solid still. He was just covered in blood. But, you know, you could only go but so far um, on network TV, okay? (laughs) With the level of gruesome, okay? Having that much blood was, you know, a big deal already. But I do not, you know what? I'm going to say that Neil did not know all of the specifics because if he just saw him bloodied, he didn't know the extent of injuries and may have thought that, um, and may not have realized that all of that damage had been done by someone swinging this bat. So I'll, I'll give him some space. I'll give him some space to have come to this conclusion. So the mayor doesn't believe it. He's an idiot and he's a jerk. So we're anyway, but I believe that the reason that the mayor is not listening to reason and cannot seem to understand why Neil would lie to protect Charlie, a child, okay, a child that he cared about is because If he does, if the mayor admits this, then that means that he made a mistake. And he is never going to admit that he made this huge and this public of a mistake about a murder. So there's that. So the next scene, we are... Neil has been placed back into the cell. The mayor has left in a huff. And Jessica and the sheriff are alone in the office portion of the jail. And Jessica sees on the sheriff's desk a report on Brad Keneally. And the sheriff says, yes, uh, on the day that the Hank's body was discovered, 
I noticed cuts and scrapes on his hands, specifically knuckles. And so I wanted to look into him. I pulled his job application for the circus and all of the references are phony. Now you're going to tell me, okay. (laughs) Okay, first, 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 first. Yes, Sheriff Childs is a good sheriff. He is doing what he needs to do within the confines of having to deal with this ridiculous person of a mayor that they have. But he he has it in him to be an investigator and to be a proper sheriff, right? Yes. That's not what I'm talking about. But you're going to tell me that someone who wants to be in the circus has to have a job application on file with references? Like, are you serious? Like, didn't Neil just run away and join and become Blinky the Clown? Did he really have, like, other jobs that he had to do in order to become a clown? Did he go to school for this? Does he have a certificate or a degree? But you're telling me, now, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know. I would think that he kind of learned on the job situation. But you you telling me that he had... (laughs) That Brad had to submit a job application with references so that he can set up and pull down uh, the tents and things like that and move things, be a handyman? Is it really? You have to have a whole job application? They're, they're doing the most out here in this traveling circus. I can see if it was Cirque de Soleil or Barnum and Bailey. You know, I, so, some legit situation, but this is a traveling circus. A job application with references. Okay, now I can see a job application where you have like contact information and, and things like that. But references? References with an S. References. Okay, Carmody. All right, Edgar. Do you. Do you. This is more of a legitimate situation than I could have imagined. Okay. (laughs) So the next scene, we are at the motel and Jessica is being dropped off by a taxi because I had forgotten that Jessica is actually staying at this hotel motel holiday inn situation. So she's going back to her room. And she sees Edgar Carmody leaving in his truck, but he doesn't see her. She's waving hello. He doesn't see her. He drives off. He doesn't look in her direction. So it's not like he was like um, Forbes in If the Frame Fits, who saw Jessica, made eye contact as she was like, hey, Forbes. And he turned around and tried to run off (laughs) like he ain't see her. Now, (laughs) Edgar didn't do that. Edgar legitimately did not see or hear Jessica. And we'll find out that he had just argued with Harry Kingman. So he wasn't in the frame of mind to even be observing anything other than getting the heck out of there. So Jessica finds Bert, the hotel manager, motel manager situation, and asks if Harry Kingman is in his room. And Bert is like, yeah, I think so. Um, I can take you up there. And Jessica's like, no, I just need the room number. And he just gives her his room number. Okay, now granted, he didn't give her a key to the room. 
which would have been the most, but he did close to the most. (laughs) Okay, I guess since she already knew that he was staying there, it wasn't a complete breach of privacy, but sir, 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 Bert, honestly. So before Jessica can get up to... Kingman's room, Maria Morgana approaches her and it's like, oh, I hear that you're looking into this. I'm really happy about that. And Jessica's like, oh, the sheriff and I appreciate the support no matter what the reason for it is. And so Maria's like, what do you mean? Jessica's like, well, if Neil is actually innocent, which he is, the circus, the mayor would then have to close the circus down to continue investigating. And if it closes down, Carmody couldn't handle having it shut down any longer. And therefore, your daughter, well, therefore, Ray would then probably accept your job offer and, you know, be more stable with your daughter. So I see your motives. So while they're talking, Daniela comes up and she directly approaches Maria. Like Jessica is standing there. She does not even acknowledge Jessica. And she's like, how could you do that? And Maria's like, we should speak in private. And Daniela was like, oh, so it's true. You offered Edgar $1 million to save the circus if he would fire Ray. And Maria's like, listen, all I did was propose a business arrangement, which resulted in everyone benefiting. Like, why are you mad? Why are you mad? On the one hand, they needed the money. On the other hand, that's real messed up. Okay, your daughter has made it clear to you. All right, not to her husband, because she keeps trying to get Ray to leave. Okay, And we talked about that before, how I do not appreciate that. She's trying to get him to abandon his father. Regardless of what we find out Edgar's situation is. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But (laughs) that she is going to her mom, like, how dare you do this? How dare you do this? But on the sneak tip, she really wants Ray to accept that offer. So she wants her, she's happy that her mom is intervening But until Ray is on board, she has to keep up the face of, I can't believe you did this. Why would you interfere? Though, hey, thank you for interfering because, like, I think I'm close to getting him to, you know, ditch his father and this failing circus. She's not at all close to making that happen. And I'm happy that Ray is standing his ground. So as they're finishing this confrontation... And Jessica's like, okay, wow, she's a terrible person. (laughs) A maid starts yelling for help. So everyone runs up and Jessica is the first one there because, okay. And come to find out Harry Kingman is dead. We find out later that he was strangled to death. So there's no blood there doesn't appear to be signs of a struggle either. I didn't look that hard, but it wasn't readily noticeable that there had been a struggle even. So the next scene, we then have the coroner 
and we'll talk about him in a second. The mayor, the sheriff, and Jessica. And so the coroner says that Kingman has been dead for less than an hour. And the mayor is like, so the fact that he was strangled to death less than an hour ago, that Fletcher woman already knew that. You got to tell me something more. And we find out that the coroner is actually the mayor's nephew and that he is a veterinarian. Okay, so he is not a people doctor, but he is, I'm sure, qualified enough that, well, I think a coroner does not need to be a doctor anyway. I think a pathologist has to be a doctor, but a coroner in some states, I believe, I don't know about all states, I only know specifically about one state, and that's actually not the state that I live in, but... (laughs) that the coroner is an elected position and the person does not need to be a doctor. However, a pathologist is a trained doctor. Don't quote me on that. This is just a vague memory from college, okay? (laughs) So, because I was like, oh, so you mean that I could actually be a coroner as a college student? Oh, Okay, like I didn't even know that was an option. I did not do that, however. And it's probably better because you have to pronounce people dead. And I'm like, you know, actually, that would not have been a great thing to have to do. Go to homicide, suicide, and accident scenes and determine if a person is dead. Anyway, but yeah, so the fact that this coroner may not... Uh, treat people does not mean that he is not qualified to determine if a human is dead with some level of medical certainty. Okay. But this is a very incestuous town. Okay. So I have no idea how the sheriff is not related to the mayor because what the father-in-law is the judge. I think the brother-in-law is the attorney, the district attorney, Um, where I'm like, where is the district attorney? Like, where is your brother-in-law or whatever relative that is? He is the one who needs to be investigating, not the mayor. Okay. We talked about this before. We talked about this before. Anyway. And now we find out that the coroner is the mayor's nephew. This is too much. This is too much. I don't know how in the world the sheriff is supposed to get anything done with all this nonsense going on. So after the coroner slash town veterinarian leaves, the sheriff, Jessica, and the mayor are talking. Jessica's like, all of, both of these murders are related and therefore it could not have been Neil because you have had him in custody for over 12 hours. And the mayor is like, the murders are not related because the mayor is an idiot. He's an idiot. Okay. (laughs) And Jessica has had it. She talks back to him. And then the sheriff comes in with the alley-oop and finally puts the mayor in his place. He is speechless. He is speechless and proceeds to leave in a huff. Okay. He does not even speak with the press. Okay. He leaves so quickly and is just flabbergasted. If flabbergasted was a look, it would be the mayor when the sheriff is dressing him down and calling him 
an idiot. Okay. <laughs> I, applause. Applause. Okay. So the next scene, we are in Edgar's office trailer and he is on the phone. He is calling the bank and telling them that he will have the loan paid in full on Monday. So the next scene, Jessica is in a taxi. I do not know where she is heading at this time, but she is in there and the taxi driver is playing the radio. And on the radio, we hear that Harry Kingman was found dead in his hotel room at the Ozark Inn and that it has been determined by the mayor and the sheriff that it is a strangulation death. However, the mayor didn't have any comments regarding this. And so the taxi driver has some comments. I'm not even going to go over it. He was annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so no, Jessica was going back to the circus. That's what she was doing. She was going back to the circus grounds. So the next scene, we are back in Edgar's trailer office and Edgar's finishing up his phone call as Ray comes in. And Ray is like, this is the last of my personal stuff. And Edgar is like, you don't have to rush and leave like that. And they get into an argument. And um, Ray is understandably upset. And Edgar's like, listen, this makes sense for everybody. Daniela wants you to get a regular job. The circus was about to be shut down because the bank was going to call in the note and we did not have the money. So what was I supposed to do? This solved everybody's problem. And Ray is like, it didn't solve my problem because I'm here for you, dad. This is your dream and it's my dream. I am not, I, I understand what Daniela is saying or whatever. I'm not listening to that noise. I am here for you and she'll be here for me because she's my wife and she loves me. Okay, this is where we belong, standing side by side with you. So Edgar's like, all right, well, if you want me to return the money, then I'll do that. Okay, I'll do that. Now, that seems a little easy. Okay, but I think maybe Edgar was, Edgar thought he was doing what was best. He thought that, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, that he thought that Ray needed his permission to get a regular job and give Daniela the life that she wanted, right? Or thought that she wanted, right? Because they, they've had apparently a good marriage up until now. So, uh, you know, running behind him at the circus. But I think once Ray told him, no... I want to be here for you. The circus is, I guess, in his blood or whatnot. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to be here with you. And she loves me. Daniela loves me enough to stand by my side wherever we are. And so I think that was enough for Edgar because he just assumed that Ray wanted to go but was so loyal to him that he needed Edgar to make that decision. But when Edgar made that decision and Ray was like, no, that's not what I wanted. That, I think that's why Edgar was so quick to say, you know what? I'll return that money. I will return it immediately. Don't you worry. We're in this together. 
And not for nothing, I actually liked that. I actually liked how dedicated they were to each other. You know, that Edgar was trying to do what he thought was best. And Ray is doing what he thinks is best. And that there is a, a happy middle ground for them. So they're outside having this discussion. And Jessica walks up and... She tells them that Kingman was found murdered in his room soon after Edgar left. And Edgar's like, I did not kill him, okay? He had some woman or somebody in his room. He came out and wouldn't let me in. He came out. We yelled at each other outside. Then he went into his room and slammed the door and I left. That That's it. And Jessica doesn't necessarily believe this. But Edgar doesn't care. He's like, I didn't kill that man. So think what you want to think. But I know the truth. Okay. (laughs) So the next scene, we see Maylene and Preston walking. And Maylene is like, listen, I'm leaving immediately. Okay. I'm not even waiting until the end of the season. It's getting too hot on this block. It is dangerous. Okay. And I can't take the chance that I'll be the next victim of an accident. And Preston's like, no, I think all the accidents are going to stop. I think it now that Kingman is dead, it, it, it you'll be fine. Like, stay till the end of the season. And so Jessica approaches and she's asking if they've seen Brad. To which Maylene was like, oh, he might be around here. But Jessica, is it true what Preston was just telling me that Kingman was strangled to death? And... Preston is like, yes, it was on the radio not 10 minutes ago. And then they kind of trail off. And um, I think Jessica walks away. Because <laughs> that's the end of my notes. I think they just, I think they kind of just trailed off and went to the next scene. So we see Brad and he is fixing up. A, I think he's preparing a, the trailer to leave. And Katie is like, oh, I wish you wouldn't leave. You know, I know I'm kind of late saying this, but... I think I would definitely miss you and, you know, I want you to stay. And Brad is like, listen, I'm not the right man for you and I'm not the right man for Charlie. You really don't know me and my past. I I, I think it's better that I go. So Jessica approaches them and Brad is like, "Ah, I got to get out of here. And Jessica's like, listen, no, 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 no. You did not kill Hank Sutter. He wasn't trampled by an elephant and he wasn't killed by being beaten by a man's hands. To which Brad kind of looks relieved, but is questioning what happened. So the next scene, we're in the trailer with Brad, Jessica, and Katie. And we find out from Brad that he used to be a professional boxer, but he also used to drink a lot. And one night he got into a bar fight and beat a man to death. He was given probation, he got clean, but then he started drinking again and got into another bar fight. Now, he doesn't tell us what happened to that guy, but that he just fled because he knew that his probation would be revoked and he would go to prison. Now, again, I don't know what happened to this guy if he just beat him up, which would have been a violation of his probation, committing another crime. Or if he killed the guy, I'm like, you're going to prison forever, for sure, if this is the second guy you've beaten to death in a bar fight. So on the night that Hank was murdered, 
he says that he was taking a walk around the grounds and he found he ran into Hank who had Charlie's bat with him and that he started talking crap about Katie and so they started to get into a, a physical fight and at one point Hank tried to go after Brad with Charlie's bat Brad was able to defend himself and beat the crap out of this guy and he said he went down he kept getting up and then he went down a final time he went down hard and then I heard footsteps and I fled. So I thought I had beaten him and that he was dead when I, when I left. And Jessica says, no, it was probably the person whose footsteps you heard who murdered him because he was not dead after you beat him. You hit him in the face. And well, actually he did hit him in the ribs a few times, like if, in the side, like, I'm sure, like, his liver was probably messed up. Anyway, um, she tells him that he had broken arms, broken ribs, and a broken back. So it was not him punching him, even as hard as he did, in the face and in the sides that caused all of these injuries. So now Brad is feeling better about it and doesn't need to flee. Which I'm still like, aren't you in violation of probation so um, why didn't you change your name you know if you were going to use phony references change your name sir you had to know somebody who could have got you a fake id and a different name because all the sheriff looked him up under brad keneally and found this information out okay <sighs> okay okay well actually maybe the sheriff didn't Maybe he didn't find that information because the sheriff isn't the one who brought us this. And Jessica did not know that he had these specific prior criminal interactions, at least the one that he got probation for. So maybe he actually did change his name. Ah, I take that back. Maybe he did change his name. And that's why all the sheriff had were the phony references. And when he ran a background check, this didn't pop up because if it popped up that he had been convicted of felony assault or attempted murder or manslaughter or something like that and got and was on probation and was wanted, I'm sure there had to be a warrant out for his arrest for fleeing probation, that the sheriff would have arrested him immediately. So I, I'm going to take that back. I think he actually did change his name. And that's why this information didn't pop up when the sheriff did a background check. Because he didn't do a fingerprint check. He just, I'm guessing, just did a name and maybe date of birth and maybe social security number check. That information that would have been on the job application. So the next scene, we are at the motel restaurant. And it's Maria Morgana, Ray, and Daniela. And so Ray and Daniela are trying to return the million dollar check to Maria. It was like, it's crazy to return this money. Like, what are y'all even doing? To which Daniela is like, we have to tell her, Ray, we have to tell her. So they do. Edgar is apparently dying. He has less than a year to live. And so that's why they're not really doing anything. And my problem is that Ray did not tell Daniela this until she forced him 
to tell her what was wrong. And I that that's one that's one issue that I have. But okay, that's my issue that I have with him. We already know my issues with Daniela, but as soon as she found out about this, she was a hundred percent, I'm sticking with you. We have to stick with your father for this circus. We have to make this work for him. So she was a hundred percent on board with Ray once she found out. So she has for me, fully redeemed herself, okay? But for Ray, I was rooting for him the whole time. This is one little scratch in the the veneer where he did not... Okay, it was more than a scratch, I guess. He did not tell his wife that his father was dying. Like, he had to force it out of his father. And I think he was speaking to the doctor at one point in the first part And that must have been how he found out that his father was really sick. But to not discuss that with your wife so that she would understand why you were taking this position and refusing to leave your father and this circus. Come on now. I guess it was for drama purposes. That's what I'm going to just put it as like for drama. It had to be for that. Because in reality, they seem like they have a good marriage and that he would have communicated this with her as soon as he found out, knowing that she would have kept it in confidence and that she would have given him full support in staying with his father and making this circus work. So Maria asked, well, what are you guys going to do? To which Ray says, we're not doing anything. He's going out the way he lived, a circus man. And that's how the scene ends. So they're going to just act as if nothing's happening and try their best to make this circus do well so that he can literally live out his dream. So the next scene, Jessica is going to her room at the Hotel Motel Holiday Inn. Well, I guess Hotel Motel Ozark Inn. Not as nice, but... (laughs) And she opens the room door and she finds Maylene on the floor knocked out. Someone comes up behind her with gloved hands and puts a rag over her mouth and nose and eventually Jessica also passes out. This mysterious person starts a fire in a trash bin and then dumps the papers on the bed and leaves the room I'm assuming. While this is happening The sheriff is dropping Neil off because he has been released because, again, the sheriff, being a good sheriff and finally standing up to Mayor Powers, has made the decision that the murders of Hank and Kingman are related and therefore it was not Neil who killed Hank Sutter and is has therefore released him. So Neil goes up to Jessica's room. He's knocking on the door and then he sees smoke billowing from under the door. He tries to see in the window, but the curtains are closed. However, you can see like it's bright orange. So clearly there's a fire. He then starts yelling for help and for people to call 911. There is conveniently enough a fire extinguisher right next to the window of Jessica's room and there's no safety glass over it. It is literally a 
cabinet, not even a cabinet because the cabinet has a door. It's literally a hole in the wall that has the fire extinguisher hung up in it with nothing in front of it. So anyone walking on by can just steal this fire extinguisher. Now, I don't know if safety glass and having like a legitimate fire extinguisher box is something that occurred in the 90s. Okay, if this was just how you had your fire extinguisher for a building was just out in the open, but it was convenient. So anyway, the next scene, we are now outside. Maylene is now, has been brought to. Jessica is as well. Mind you, there's no like soot on their face or anything, but okay, whatever, not important. And we find out that Maylene received a note purporting to be from Jessica and it had been slipped under her trailer door. Clearly it wasn't from Jessica and Maylene is like, I can't believe that I I fell for that, but you don't know Jessica. So her asking you to meet her in her room because she's looking into your husband's murder is not odd and you should not feel stupid for having read the letter, believed it, and then gone to her room, especially after you had already started to speak with Jessica and seemed to have a friendly demeanor with her. So I I don't like that she felt that she was stupid for believing it based on the results. But the fact is, it was reasonable for her to have gone to Jessica's hotel room to further discuss her husband's murder. Maybe she had it solved. Neil was getting out of jail, so there was a reason to meet. My confusion with this, however, is how did Maylene get into Jessica's room, right? Because Jessica had to unlock the door to get in. So the door was locked when Jessica left it. How did Maylene get in? Was the door unlocked when Maylene came in? Well, came to the door or ajar? If it was, why would you walk in? You know what I mean? Like to the point where you, someone was able to get the jump on you. Or did someone like throw the door open, grab her and drag her in without someone hearing her scream or struggle? I don't know. They don't bring up the how she got into that room at all. Okay? <laughs> like, at all. So the next scene, we are at inside the tent. So inside one of the circus tents. And Jessica and Preston are in this scene. And Jessica comes out from behind a cage of some sort and says, Oh, Mr. Bartholomew, you look like you saw a ghost. Well, I guess that's because you assume that I'd be dead by now. So he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. How are you doing? Anyway, Jessica breaks it on down. She's like, you're the one who killed Hank and Kingman. It had to be someone who worked for Kingman before and knew these people. You were the person who tried to kill Maylene and myself. And you were the person creating accidents around to sabotage the circus. And so Preston is like, wait a second. Several of us, as you said before, 
works for Kingman. So it could have been any of those people. And Jessica's like, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way because how did you know that Hank had been beaten with a bat? Jessica then surmises that he was perhaps going to get a payoff from Kingman somewhere down the line. Is that why he said he was quitting the circus? Was that the the money that he was expecting? And so he's still not confessing. So Jessica says, you slipped again when you told Maylene that Kingman was strangled. And you claim that you heard it on the radio. But the fact is, the radio broadcast left out how Kingman was murdered. So what you got to say about that? And the fact that Maylene and I heard this and we were the only two that would probably remember you saying this is why you then tried to murder the both of us. So Preston says, well, let's assume that you're correct. You're not. But if you were, this would be the reason why. Now, this sounds a whole lot like O.J. Simpson's If I Did It, but I didn't do it. But if I did, this very specific set of circumstances are why and how it happened. That is Preston's If I Did It. This is what it is, okay? (laughs) He says, maybe the night that Hank Sutter was murdered, I was working to sabotage the circus by cutting that link. And maybe I didn't see Sutter laid out on the ground behind me. And perhaps he woke up and he then saw what I was doing. And me not being the brawler that he is, I then had to look for a weapon and perhaps I found a bat and hit him, knocking him down, but I could not let him get back up because he would tell what I was doing. So perhaps I proceeded to beat him with a bat until he was dead. Assuming that I did that, but I didn't, okay? And maybe Kingman was going to pay me for doing these things and had been. And when I went to collect the money and he found out that in some imaginary world, I murdered Hank and he not having the stomach for murder refused to pay me. We'll we'll get back to that in a second. Actually, let me finish this off and we're going to get back to that. Okay. (laughs) So then perhaps he then threatened to go to the police and tell them that I killed Hank and I couldn't let that happen. So maybe that's why he was strangled to death. I don't know, but this is just, I'm just making this up. I'm just like following your line of logic, but this didn't actually happen at all. Now, taking this back and then we'll finish out the scene. My question is with regard to Kingman refusing to pay Preston is was he paying you all along 
Did you have an agreement for payment? Was he supposed to pay you all at this point? Because I think you could have talked your way out of having to beat up Hank, well, kill Hank, by just bringing him in, right? And just be like, okay, listen, Kingman is paying me X, Y, and Z. I'll give you a cut of it if you don't say anything. And the type of person Hank was, he definitely would have done that. But you would have us to believe, right? This man who has just been beaten by a professional boxer and is groggily coming out has the moral high calling, right? High standard that he then attacks you to prevent you from sabotaging the circus when he was probably, you know what? I think he got fired by Kingman. So if the Carmody circus didn't work out, then he wouldn't have a job. So, okay, so I can understand why he's like, you can't sabotage this because this is the only job I got uh, or could get. But why would you then beat him to death with a bat? And to the point that his arms, his back, and his ribs are broken. And you didn't even have cash in hand. So you go to Kingman and he's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be out here murdering people. I'm not giving you anything. Why? Okay. Kingman, sir, you are in the room with someone who beat a man to death with a bat. And you are refusing to pay him money for sabotaging the circus and or killing Hank to keep him quiet. Why did you not expect to be murdered? Like, why did you not have the forethought of, I am not going to make this man who's willing to murder somebody upset with me. I'm not willing to do that. So let me pay this money to him and tell him, you don't have to do it anymore. This is fine. Thank you very much. Here is your money. Goodbye. And be done with it. But you're not only going to refuse to give money to him for this, but you're going to threaten to call the police while you are in a hotel room alone with a man who murdered someone who was much bigger and stronger than him. Now, you are older, significantly older than him, and probably not as fast Okay, and you are confronting this man and you don't even have a weapon the first? Kingman, you should have known you was going to get murdered. Like, I don't know. You should not be surprised by this because your actions were those of a person who was asking to be murdered. He legitimately told you, I murdered Hank. Okay, I beat him to death with a bat. Okay, I did that. I did that. So I'm going to need you to come up off this money for the sabotaging that I did to get this place closed down. And you say, no, I'm going to call the police. Oh my God, you deserve deserve to be murdered. But also you're going to convince me, because you're not, that Preston Bartholomew and his fake looking mustache was able to strangle Harry Kingman, who has at least 50 pounds on him. 
not he's definitely older but he has 50 pounds on him like he would have had to knock Kingman out to then strangle him like that's the only way that could happen because if Kingman fought back he would have destroyed Preston let's be honest anyway so (laughs) back to the sea because we're landing this plane okay so Preston is like, I can't let you tell the police, Jessica. Even though he's like, that didn't really happen. You don't have any proof. So even he knows that Jessica Fletcher's word is enough to get you arrested and probably convicted. So that's why he's kind of like insinuating that he's going to need to murder her. But because Jessica learned after Deadly Lady, okay, to have backup right on scene, okay? Ray, Neil, Katie, Daniela, Edgar, Brad, and Maylene come out the woodworks, the literal woodworks. And they're like, well, we heard what happened. And no, she didn't twist your words. We believe that you were the saboteur and the murderer, okay? And so you're right. The police are not going to believe you. Um, did this, we don't have any proof, any evidence, any facts or circumstances to prove it. So what we're going to do is we're going to feed you to the tiger. That's what we're going to do. Okay, get in here. And so he's screaming, he's yelling. He's like, okay, okay, okay. I did it. I did it. You know, um, let me go. And so Sheriff Child pops up. And he's like, oh, I just happened to be walking by and I heard this. So great, you're under arrest. Okay, that's not how it works, but okay, that's how we're going to end it. Okay, but the final scene, okay, or scenes are the best part of this. Okay, the best part. So we are finally at the wedding day. Constance and Audrey are talking to Carol, who is in full wedding dress and the veil, And we find out that Clay has refused the position that Constance has found for him at some highfalutin company. And Carol is like, I know what you're doing, Grandma. And so does Clay. And that's why he doesn't want it. Audrey is all like, well, you know, a certain level of independence is respectable, but this is too much. I I can't stand her. Anyway, or Constance, to be absolutely honest. Um... I dislike the mayor more, though. But these two are close second. So, (laughs) but Carol is done with it. She's like, no, we're not getting trapped and locked and imprisoned like you did to my mother and my father. We're not about to do that, okay? I'm getting the hell out of here, okay? This is a, she didn't say any of this, but I'm saying this. This is the last time you're going to see me. Because I don't like neither, y'all. Okay, once these checks clear from the wedding gifts and the wedding ceremony, you will not see me, okay? Maybe when I have a grandchild on some supervised visits, but you will probably have the man or the maid servant look at them anyway, so you will never see me again, okay? You ain't got to worry about none of this. I'm going to be spending Christmas and all the holidays with Clay's family because I'm guessing that they got more sense than this family because it's a hot mess. Y'all ain't going, thank you for paying for this wedding, but this is it, okay? (laughs) I'm not turning into any of you. 
So Jessica comes in and she's like, oh my God, okay, I made it in time. This is great. This is great. Can I get a few minutes alone with Carol? And Constance is like, well, the ceremony is starting. (laughs) And Carol's like, grandma, leave. Leave. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jessica's like, it's only going to take a minute. And so Carol is still trying to be respectful, but she is very firm when she tells her grandmother and her mother to, to please leave. And good for her. Yes. Yes. You are going to have the freedom that your father didn't have, that your mother didn't have enough sense to know that she wanted. You are almost free of these people. Okay. Thank God for Jessica. Because when Neil left, her grandfather left, the only reasonable person in the family, because her father has been beaten down and molded into the person that he is to fit you know, side by side with Audrey and her terrible mother, that Jessica was the only one left that had any sense of reality, okay? (laughs) She was basically Carol's savior. Like, thank God for Jessica. So anyway, Jessica tells Carol that her grandfather is alive and he's here. So he, she goes to the door. This is Jessica. She whistles and Neil comes in. He's in a full suit he looks great. Okay, I'm sorry. He looks great. He got his hair cut for this. He's in a suit. But what makes that funny is that he's like, I'm not here for the wedding. Like, I'm not. I am really going to disappear like a phantom as soon as we finish this conversation. Okay? Like, I'm going to be in your life from here on out. You will not lose me. I'm not going anywhere away hiding from you. But your mom and your grandmother have their own lives and God bless them in that wretchedness. But I can't. I, I've moved on. Um, but now I know that I can keep in contact with you and not worry about Constance or Audrey finding out about it and finding me and pulling me back into this life. So now that I know that you are a reasonable person, that you're closer to me and my personality and my desire for freedom than your mother and your grandmother, I can have direct contact with you for the rest of our lives. And I think that Neil had to cut all ties, like even with the the granddaughter that he loved with all his heart, had to cut all ties with them because how was he to know right? He's been allegedly dead 10 years, right? So Carol is, I want to say, let's say she's 22. Let's say she's 22. She was 12. He's not, she didn't have a cell phone. Cell phones weren't a thing. He couldn't have gotten in contact with her per se without her mom or her grandmother finding out. And, you know, I don't know if I could trust your father either because he kind of fell into this lifestyle and, you know, is, is going along to get along. But now she's an adult, she's getting married, she's moving away from these people. He can now have that contact. And I'm so happy for them for this. Um, So he tells her, do not tell anybody that I am alive, (laughs) okay? (laughs) I'm not back home. I'm not, I'm not. You're gonna have to see me on the low, okay? We're gonna have to have 
like a special greeting when I call unless Clay is cool. It sounds like he gonna be cool. So I can call your house, your marital house, okay? But I ain't never coming to see your grandmother or your mother again, okay? No, I'm dead to them. Let's leave it that way, <laughs> okay? So as they're talking, we then go outside and Jessica meets up with Howard. He was told that she wanted to speak with him. And she asked him if he wants to invest in a circus and that she has a friend who is asking him, asking her to ask him to loan that person the money. So he is given a note. Jessica got a note from Neil to give to Howard. He reads the note and he's like, oh my God, he's alive. Is he happy? And Jessica gets a bit choked up, you know, which is actually sweet. And she's like, he is happier than he's ever been. And so Howard's like, of course, of course, it's his money anyway. Of course we can do this. And so it's not really a loan because it's this man's money, you know, because he's not really dead. So he's like, the circus though? The circus? (laughs) And so Audrey comes up and she's uh, clearly the apple fell right out of Constance's tree. Okay, there is not a speck of Neil in Audrey at all. She is her mother's daughter. She is annoying. And I feel bad for Howard to a point because he is an adult. He can make these decisions. He can divorce her. Okay. And we'll get into that in just a second, actually. So she's nitpicking and whatever, whatever. And then she finally goes off, uh, walks away, not yells at him. And he turns to Jessica and he's like, um, this circus, um, does it have any use for an overworked, underappreciated stockbroker? And so we, we laugh and Jessica is like, oh, well, you know, you'll have to ask the new owner. And they walk off and the scene ends. Now, what would be a happy ending for me, okay, for me, is for Carol and Clay to move out of the state and start their own lives. And she only keeps in contact with her father, Howard, and her grandfather, Neil, for one. Two, that um, Katie and Brad make a family together with Charlie, that they live happily ever after on the circus circuit. Um, That Carmody, Edgar Carmody, gets... Um, the money from Maria that she lets him keep the million dollars so that they can bring the circus back and that he can have the time that he has left. And I hope it's more than a year though. Um, and enjoy it and not have this additional stress, which actually maybe he will live longer since he won't have this stress of the bank pulling their loan and get closing down the circus. So maybe that lack of stress will help him live longer. So that's my hope for that. But also that um, on the less positive side, right, that Howard divorces Audrey. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's what would be a happy ending to me. She is terrible. Her mom is even worse. Poor Carol had to deal with this until she actually found a man that she should get married to and is not about this country club society nonsense. But... My thing is that this would be the perfect time for 
Howard to divorce Audrey because they have one child together who is now married, right? And he's a stockbroker. He could quit his job and join the circus off the books, meaning he wouldn't have to pay alimony and Audrey could play the victim, the divorcee. But wait a second, no. If he were to divorce her, her mother would disown her because of the embarrassment. Oh, you failed. You couldn't keep your marriage together? Ugh. And you're not getting alimony, so you can't even afford to live this lifestyle without my help and your father's, your deceased father's money? Oh, that's embarrassing. So, mm. I'm going to have to disown you. You know, you're an adult. I, I, I don't think you've made good decisions in your life. And I would be okay with that. And that's just the truth. That is just the truth. So anyway, <laughs> that's that on that. Death stalks the big top part two. Another one in the bag. Next week, we will be watching and discussing unfinished business which is one of my faves. I don't know why, but it is. Okay. (laughs) This one was an enjoyable two-parter. I do like each part equally. And I dislike Constance, Audrey, and Mayor Powell's equally. Okay. (laughs) However, I think that I realize that I like Maylene's character more having seen part two. So we didn't get a lot of her in part one, but I think we got a bit more of her personality and her independence and things like that in part two. So that is a new development. I did not dislike her in part one. Don't get me wrong. I liked her enough. Like she was, I didn't have a feeling about her in part one, but no, I like her. She thumbs up for her. Um, Brad He had a misstep with the not wanting to call police because that was selfish, okay? It was because you're on the run. Uh, But they needed to be called because Katie was almost killed, okay? (laughs) But I want them to work. I want them to work. He has a great relationship with her son. He has a great relationship with her. Please make a family at the circus and just live happily ever after. Please do that. That would be amazing. Um, Sheriff Childs. I hope he continues to do well and they continue to elect him as sheriff so he can keep that town in check because he is a very good lawman, okay? He is. And now I think that the mayor has been put in his place. Hopefully he does not get reelected. We don't want him (laughs) reelected, okay? (laughs) But we want Sheriff Childs to stay. Um, Neil slash Carl... I'm sure he's going to stick with the circus, and I love that for him. And um, Howard, you deserve better. I don't know if anyone told you this in your life. You deserve better. Please find better than Audrey and her terrible mother, Constance. Um, But yeah, I think that's everybody of import, okay? (laughs) Edgar, of course... um, I want him to have more than a year. Oh, goodness. Ray and Daniela, I want them to, you know, inherit this circus and make it great and keep it great um, in memory of the father. 
And I don't know if it was the grandfather circus before that. We don't know what the extended history is. But I wish the best for that that family, you know. Maria Morgana can go right on back to New York City. That is quite all right. Do you, boo? Okay, leave your daughter alone. She is happy. Leave her alone. And her marriage seems to be doing very well now that, now that they are communicating better and are on both, are on the same page. Yes, yes. So I wish the best for them. But yeah, I think that's every important character. If I miss someone, sorry. <laughs> there were a lot of you guys. Anyway, so you can always catch me and let me know. I had some questions here that you may have some answers for. So go on over to Instagram, to the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram and drop me a line. Or you can find me on Facebook, the Fletcher Files Pod Facebook page. And of course, in the description box, you can click on the Patreon link and you can become a Patreon member of the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. (laughs) But other than that, I want you guys to have an amazing week until we meet again for Unfinished Business next Sunday at 5 p.m. I want you guys to have an amazing week. Until then, bye.